0: What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. I've got a very special treat, especially for those of you who have invested in his company. I know you are very happy with what has transpired since we brought this offering specifically to our Millionaire MyCast listeners. Those of you who are on my deals list and are credit investors, uh, we had dozens of you invest into the Green Coffee Company in 2022, and we brought this out. and I'm bringing Cole back to share a little bit more about. What has transpired since then? I think it's always cool to, you know, hear and see opportunities, and they're exciting and sexy. But you don't always hear about how they panned out and what transpired. And you guys are going to get a little bit of a taste of what has been going on since I brought this offering out to um, Millionaire Mindcast and the investment and what it has really turned into with Green Coffee Company and how exciting and bright the future is for this organization and some of the international partnerships, the fact that they now are the largest coffee producer in Colombia and some of the insane things that they are up to. I am so excited. There's gonna be an opportunity um, for those of you who missed out on this and have some interest in this organization. um, You will potentially, if you're an accredited investor, Uh, have the opportunity to invest once again. So if you're not on my deals list, text the word deals to 844-447-1555. That's how you get um, at least, you know, access and um, insight into what some of these opportunities are that I'm investing in or that other people in my network are investing in. Um, So if you're not on that list yet, be sure to get on that. And that's just for credit investors. But even if you're not a credit investor, these are the types of people I like to bring on the show because one I think it's really important especially when you talk about investments um into companies, right? You don't get a lot of access and insight to how this all works and not only when you get the opportunity to invest in a private business before they go pre uh, before they go IPO, right? This is a pre-IPO investment opportunity. How do these things pan out? What does this look like? What transpires once these investors get in and you don't always get to see behind the scenes and the curtain um for these types of opportunities because they're just not as frequent and accessible unless you're tapped into Wall Street and private equity and family offices which are the majority of the people who get these kind of opportunities. So, I felt very fortunate and grateful to know Adam, to know Cole and and you know these guys um before this, you know, company turned into what it's turned into today and they're well on their way to being a billion-dollar company, in my opinion. Um, and there's some really cool insights that Cole is going to share about his journey, of course, and you know when uh, we made this investment and what it looks like today, and what they're up to going forward. And the vision is so grand, so big. I'm just, it's it's fun to be able to have access. Uh, to an opportunity like this and a leadership team like this that you just don't get access to otherwise. These are closed door conversations usually. And I think you guys are going to see that Cole, his expertise, his humility, his background coming from Price Waterhouse Coopers in Hong Kong and China and mergers and acquisitions and private equity has obviously panned out and played out very well and translated very well into um, the founding of Green Coffee Company and what him and all of his amazing team have done. So I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this episode, even if you're not invested in Green Coffee Company, to hear how these types of investment opportunities unfold. And more importantly, what transpires after them and the opportunities that come as a result are very fun, very exciting, and most importantly, very insightful because some of my best investments have honestly been in pre-IPO companies. Um, that I believe in, and that have great runway, and are most likely going to end up going on, you know, some stock exchange, and have massive value in the future. So this is one of those, probably one of my best, if not the best, investment personally in a private business that I've made. Um, and you guys are going to hear why on today's show. So without, uh, you know, taking any further time, again, if you want to get on the deals list and you're a credit investor, uh, there is going to be an opportunity to get in on something very exciting that Green Coffee Company is doing. So text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 if you want access to that. That's gonna be coming out here very shortly after this episode airs and um, it will most likely get fulfilled and closed out very quickly after uh, this because so many investors are reinvesting because of obviously what has happened with their investment, initial investment um, growing and being very lucrative. Uh, because of what this amazing company is doing, and they are back at it again, going for something even bigger and more grand. That's already in their area of expertise. So I'm really excited about uh, this one. We talk about his journey from private equity uh, into becoming an entrepreneur and business owner. Why he chose Latin America, and what these you know kind of investment opportunities look like outside of the U.S. Um, and what you know international investing can really open up for you. Um, living abroad. He gives us some of his best and favorite insights on all things Columbia, because that's obviously where they are, you know, planted and, you know, growing his family, growing his business, Um, some of the exciting opportunities that they are working on and how that is going to benefit investors that are already in, investors that are coming in. So this is a really great conversation and episode around a private investment opportunity and what that looks like and what are some of the things you should see see and think about and do due diligence on before making some of these investments. So without any, I'm just going to shut up. Let's just dig into today's episode with Mr. Cole Shepard from the Green Coffee Company. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer forward slash Mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash Mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash Mindcast and get started. Welcome into the show, Cole Shepard. How we doing, brother? Doing great. Thank you for having me, Matt. So is it wintertime or is it
1: summertime or is it always summertime <laughs> in Colombia, at Medellín? I would say if you came down today, you'd think it's summertime. You know, the, where I live in Medellín, Colombia, you know, the motto is the city of eternal spring. So theoretically, it's spring every day. We don't really have, when it rains, we call it winter. So today, if you came down, probably 80 degrees and sunny. So hmm. depending where you are in, in the world, It could be spring, could be summer. Well, I know most of my East Coast friends are freezing their butts
0: off and us Californians (laughs) are complaining about a little bit of rain. So I'll take uh, 80 degrees in spring in Columbia any day. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me how, why, first off, how did you land in Medellin? I never heard the story of, I know you've lived abroad a ton. I know you have yes. done a lot of, you know, international business, but like, how did you, how'd mm-hmm. you land and in, in decide on Medellin?
1: Sure, sure. So about, I've been here for about 10 years now. So if I, you know, retract 10 years from life, I was working in M&A at PwC in Hong Kong at the time. So my business really was advising on M&A, Mostly, you know, you'd know, you have private equity, you'd have large corporate buyout, and largely in the banking, insurance, and asset management space. So we only had three teams in the world that did what we did. We were in Hong Kong, New York, London, and I wanted to work more in emerging markets. You know, So when you're about that age in a public accounting firm or a consulting firm, you got to start thinking about the next level. You need to start trying to think about running teams. And the region I was really interested in was Latin America. So I was interviewing with some of the partners in Bogota and in Sao Paulo in Brazil Uh, because we didn't have teams that did basically the very concentrated amount of work that we did. I came down to Colombia for my brother's wedding, actually in Cartagena. And I started to see what was going on. You know, the economic development didn't seem to really link up with the banking penetration that I saw, the amount of capital moving into the country. I thought it was massively interesting. So I, you know, I explored Medellin, I explored Bogota and, you know, with when you're in a public accounting firm, you know risk isn't at the top of their of the things that they're looking to go for. So you know transitions take time, and you know I was ready to make a move immediately. And I said, look, I I wasn't married, didn't have kids at the time, and I said, you know, that's that's start the entrepreneurship route. So I had a thesis revolving real estate. There's no MLS here in. Columbia. So I thought I could find arbitrage in the real estate space. And if I ever needed to raise capital, I could go back to some contacts uh, in the capital heavy world, for instance, of Hong Kong. And we test theses here in Colombia, and then we would move capital flows between Asia and Latin America. So when I got started, really, the thesis was around, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, betting all the money that I had on myself at the time. Uh, Learning Spanish, getting kicked off. But really, it was when I came down, you felt something new. You know, I had traveled a lot all over the world. And when I came to Columbia, I thought I found, found something special. Mm. And luckily, I was right. Yeah. I love that. And I know we'll, we'll talk
0: a little bit more about how you founded Green Coffee Company. And obviously, we sure. have many, many millionaire Mindcast listeners are credit investors that are, you know, on the millionaire Mindcast deals list that invested with you guys. What was it? Was that 2021 that we made that offering? Or maybe that was mid 2022? I believe you're right. I believe it's 2022. Yeah. And so we had a a handful of uh, listeners that, you know, are very excited. Now looking back that they invested in green coffee company based on, you know, where you guys are at, the growth you've had, the valuation. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that, you know, investment journey has looked like, and also what the future of green coffee company looks like. And there's a little bit of an exciting opportunity to still get in with the growth that you guys have had. And I mean, I'm talking explosive growth. So I'm excited to talk a little bit more about that. But not many people have insights into the private equity world, the M&A world, the, the level at which you were playing with institutional kind of global capital. Can you share yes, a little bit more about that experience and some of the key takeaways that really apply to any investor that's got that savvy financial acumen and mindset, but maybe just sure you know doesn't know how to bring it into their
1: world? And you have been one of those individuals that has just done it at a really high level. Sure, sure, I'd love to. So, you know, one of the things I saw when I was working in that regional rollout of Hong Kong is the amount of capital in stemming out of whether you have financial centers, you have developed market, and the amount of capital looking for yield is incredible, right? You know, you might have peers at that time, you know, Hong Kong was not as aggressive as it is now, but guys were buying apartments at one caps, you know, obviously, so 1% yields on, you know, buying $1 million shoebox apartments. And, there, and there's just too much capital. There's too much capital floating around for too little deals. You'll see, it, you'll see it even today when you look at, you know, they call it the dry powder, the private equity industry globally. Yeah. You know, there's trillions on the sideline. And so one of the key theses is, and I guess it's not always based on this is the concrete data that you have. What you see is there's a tremendous amount of global capital looking for certain mandates, but the mandates might not actually exist. You know, you can be the largest bank in Tokyo, let's say you're Tokyo Mitsubishi, and you need a certain return profile. You need a certain, let's say, yield book, a loan book that you're looking to buy, or certain bank, it might not exist. And so I think that you see that throughout private equity markets today. You're definitely seeing it in private equity markets in the United States today. You know, you're seeing a lot of these managers struggle to deploy capital. You're seeing a lot of news about struggling to exit on, you know, earnings multiples and whatnot. But what I think is a more important niche and the one that I took more to heart is the the ability to find deals that fit the profile that your actual investors are looking for. And so I saw a disparity there. And so that's why I liked emerging markets. You know, we would see profitability. So if you want to, let's say you had the same profile, uh, a bank between Hong Kong and Vietnam you know, the, the the valuations will be drastically different on a cash versus cash basis. And you can always argue that the currency has a higher beta, it's more risky, there's a, more, a higher macro risk in one country or the other, but you have these huge disparities and they exist in public markets. Like today, there was an article in Bloomberg about how JP Morgan might delist the Colombian Stock Exchange, which only has like 20 public companies on it, um, from their frontier market list. Right, due to the lack of liquidity. Now, a lot of the larger Colombian companies are dual listed on the U.S. exchanges, so it doesn't really matter. But if you were to look at the average PE on a U.S. exchange right now, I think the average is around 22 times net income. If you look mm-hmm. at in Colombia, it's six, six mm. times earnings. Right. So for invest, you say, okay, let's say I'm a value investor. What do I care about investing? I've invested in great businesses that are going to okay. be around forever, and I want a reasonable valuation. And so this is a long way about going around is when I saw in the public market, you'd see these massive valuations. Guys are constantly ch- chasing the same kind of yield profiles. Everyone wants the same things and they need them at, and the institutions need them at scale. What I saw when we were working with a lot of the, let's say the private banks or private asset managers, they were f- focused hugely on family offices at the time. This was 10 years ago and we they were, predicting Singapore to become the next family office, epicenter of the world, overtaking, overtaking Switzerland. And it largely did in that yep. part of the world. Yep. But you're seeing, you know, the individual investor, let's say the individual accredited investor want to get more into direct, both direct deals, yep. and they want to get pre, pre-public market deals, especially in the alternative investment space. Doesn't matter whether it's private debt, private equity, real estate, they, they were, kind of straying away from the retail funds. And we saw basically that it's like an unserved asset class. And so we, we studied that heavily at, at the firm. When we were there, we'd constantly put out kind of reports about that underserved high net worth class. And Will, we'd say that is between, you know, if you had a net worth of somewhere between one and 15 million US dollars, you were really getting pitched the same retail mutual yep. funds and whatnot as you would if you had $100,000 in the bank which doesn't make any sense because you have a little bit of coin that you can syndicate and you should be getting higher yield profiles. Yep. So Absolutely. I think the, 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 the big takeaways for my long spiel here is one, in developed market, there's too much capital. There's too much capital chasing too little deals and people and what we find is the average investor, especially entrepreneurs that have made money on their own, and they're willing to take a little bit extra risk for a hugely inflated uh, return profile. They want to invest in direct deals and they want to get into great businesses that aren't taking massive tech risks to create the next AI program, but businesses that are going to be around forever. And so yeah. that's what I wanted to focus on. Businesses that, you know, maybe, you know, things like coffee are everyday businesses. Everyone knows what it is. I'm not trying to compete on creating the next artificial intelligence software that's going to, you know, create the Terminator to come. But I want to create businesses that I enjoy being around. I generally understand, and we can build great teams. And literally, we're trying to build hundred-year businesses, and that's where we that's where we focused. And for the let's say the individual accredited investor that from the United States, largely, those are the guys who have supported us all along the way. Yeah, those 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 private offerings have really gained
0: some traction. It feels like at least more to the mainstream accredited investor that maybe unless you had a Wall Street or an institutional connection, totally. right? Like you didn't have access I agree. to this 5 10 years ago or or at least no. it, it, it not as 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 frequently or openly as maybe it is today. And all of the, you know, pre-IPO or or private, in, you know, investments that I've been able to do, man, they you get the right company and They are way juicier and more fun to be part of something than just being kind of arm's length. You really don't have any connection or access to the deal, the team, the opportunity, right? You're just kind of sitting back, hey, I hope I get my returns. And it seems like that evolution has really created some awesome opportunity on
1: both sides of, you know, business and investor. I think you're exactly right, Matt. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you've seen—I've kind of seen this develop I've, over the ten years I've been down in Colombia. I think it's becoming more and more of a commonplace for accredited investors to look for private deals, and I think more and more guys are actually looking for it now that yields are coming up a little bit on central bank rates. Guys are mm-hmm. finally starting to go back into debt because the world is becoming somewhat more rational with with a real cost of capital. Yeah. Guys are going kind of out of those sky high tech vc kind of plays not that they're not doing them all together but you know you don't have an unlimited amount of capital funding you know shareholder equity burning businesses that don't make money yeah um but i think you're exactly right i think investors are going to continue to try to source private deals and they want to be a part of something before you know everyone else you know has a part of it and you know you have a you have a realistic valuation on businesses rather than you know, it's already public, guys have a blue blue sky valuation of 300 times earnings. And you say, you know, what's what's really the upside? It seems like a lot of downside there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, people are, are starting to come to reality
0: with, you know, some of the insane valuations of these, you know, non-profitable <laughs> tech organizations that hopefully the future value of this pays off. And I think people, like you totally. said, looking for safer, risk-mitigated, but also high-yielding or opportunistic you know, investment plays that are more in businesses like Green Coffee Company. So I'm curious, Definitely. knowing where Green Coffee Company is at today, and, and we can talk about the future and all the amazing stuff sure. going on, because a lot has transpired since you and I last chatted. Where did this inception of why coffee, why Columbia, and how the hell did this idea turn into (laughs) an actual business
1: that you said, all right, I'm going all in on this thing? Sure. Absolutely. So at the time, so if you uh, retract 10 minutes from our conversation, I came down and started doing real estate deals. right? So I was doing mostly distressed real estate, similar to probably most A lot of your listeners that do bankruptcy sales. I was doing the same thing, except I was doing them at what's called the Juzgado down here in Colombia. You're reading bankruptcy files in Spanish. I had a little commercial or single family or mostly single family stuff apartments. You look at apartments, houses, but it's a massively complicated process. It it took, you know, it, it sounds silly and I didn't have a ton of capital at the time, but I couldn't spend the capital that I had. You know, you're doing. $50,000, $100,000 50000 dollars hundred thousand dollar apartment buys. Maybe you're doing little renovation on it and then you're doing flips because you can buy at massive discounts at the Juzgados, which is the equivalent of a courthouse, by the okay. way. Here got in Colombia. got it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, an auction sale. It's an auction sale. But I mean, the the process is silly. The, the the legal system for related to bankruptcy sales can get delayed in perpetuity. You know, I was reviewing some files that had been bankruptcy court potentially for 20 years. Right. And through through no real, it's not because they're under like corporate litigation. It's just delays in the process. So at that exact same time, I had some peers that were doing coffee or they were doing coffee trading. And I had another peer that was doing fresh cut flowers. Mm. And so for listeners who don't know, Colombia is the number two exporter of fresh cut flowers in the world outside Mm. of the Netherlands. So if you were to go to Walmart anywhere in the United States, you have hydrangea tulips, roses, whatever, you know. there's a very high probability it's coming from Colombia. And so since I had contact still in Asia, I created my own little trading house. So I ran a company out of Hong Kong and I was running a flower export trading company basically out of Colombia. So I would partner up with certain farms, largely in Medellin and Bogota, uh, largely uh, Hortensia's Hydrangea, and then we'd use roses from Bogota. And we would cover some Asian markets that they didn't have trade flow to. Right? And so we would cover South Korea, Japan, we did some trades of Philippines, Indonesia, Hong Kong, Southern China. And that was the niche for a little while. So maybe we would trade per week 20 to 50 grand a week, maybe of flowers. And you know, we we're starting to build that up it's somewhat exciting, but there's a limit to the scale. You can have a huge yes. loss ratio on something from the time you cut it from right. the time it's dead is three weeks. And in that three week period, you have to determine value for someone to actually pay for it, use it in a wedding, whatever. So very high risk trading business. So at the time I was running, the time I got approached to to do the project, I was running both businesses, do both doing you know, real estate flips and running basically the equivalent of a commodity trading house. My own, my own book with my own capital, and we were starting to look at obviously commodity coffee as well. I had peers in the in that industry. You know, we got approached by a real estate group that was comfortable uh, with the risk profile, obviously of Colombia, and they wanted something with an ag background. You know, at the time we were dabbling, obviously in fresh cut flowers, we were looking at coffee, but we were also looking at cacao. Mm. And so I kind of determined they they needed someone with like a private equity experience to create obviously create the company build out a management team create the whole concept create the business strategy, and we I at the time I thought cacao might have been better actually because the profitability of cacao is much is very overlooked it's largely a, let's say an oligop- an oligopoly market it's really run out of western africa from mm. ivory coast and ghana mm-hmm. and Latam has some interesting cacaos ecuador being a great example that's becoming quite sophisticated but we're in colombia so everyone knows colombian coffee from a cap race perspective yeah. cacao would have been much more challenging i still think it's a great product for the country there are people dabbling in it i do have a peer that what runs one of the largest cacao funds here in in colombia um but we chose coffee, one, because investors understand it. And two, we had access to buy acquisitions at a reasonable scale. So the original thesis was, which, which aligns with a lot of real estate investors, is you buy at scale so you can get a discount, yep. consolidate the infrastructure so that you can bring your cost of processing, basically you're just your OPEX down yep. to get inventory costs, and then sell further down the value chain as far as you can get to get the highest you know, the highest price you can get for the product you're creating. And that, that was the original product. That was the original green coffee company of basically just competing with commercial real estate and say, look, I can buy, let's say uh, a mall that does this amount of yield. Can you get me an ag product that does this? Yeah. And, and that was the entire mandate. And then that's what we created to begin with. And then as we kind of dove in, we said, there's a lot more to what we can do here than just compete with somebody owning a mall. That's amazing, dude. So you guys have, you know,
0: had so many different publications and mainstream news articles, massive partnerships with massive corporations. Talk a little bit about yes, how you guys went from this idea and building out the management team and getting that initial tranche of capital in into going mm-hmm. weak we've got a freaking juggernaut on our hands. And, and what sure. was your, your thinking and your
1: process for taking it to that next level? Sure. You know, when we started, you know, it's kind of, I would call it like the take control phase. So when we did the original capital raise, we staged it, but we raised like committed $5.7 million. So something in someone coming from the United States, you'd say, man, that's a, a small little project. You can't really do much with it. And they're exactly right. But for Columbia, you can buy a lot with 5.7 mil. And so really, it took about two years to take control of the farms, build out a management team, really start upgrading processes and procedures, and not even close to the level we're at today, but just to do it at a non, let's say, non-rural worker level. And after about two years, we said, you know, we saw a lot of gaps in the market. One being access to capital was basically zero. Human capital entering the industry was basically non-existent. You know, the best and the brightest in Colombia—it it, it's difficult to say, but you know, most of them don't work in coffee. You know, they go work in banking. They might go live in New York or Paris or Tokyo, but yeah. most of them don't go work on coffee farms. So you have kind of a obviously a brain drain that comes from the industry, and so no one's looking to innovate, right? And then we saw a tremendous amount of Colombian farmers that really just. Aren't interested in the industry because they don't really see it going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they were more than happy to exit land positions. So we said, you know, if we actually got some real management figures in here to run this like a corporate and not like an asset sale. So this is this is a transition from an asset valuation to we're trying to build an enterprise. Yep. I would say that happened around 2020. That's when we hired uh, Boris to be CEO. We hired Leonardo to be the CFO. We started bringing in a new COO the year after. And we started really investing in a Colombian focused management team. Guys that had been working in real international businesses, both public and private companies. They come in with real experience of agronomy, largely outside of the coffee space. uh, But we would bring best practices to our company. And that was what really took us to the next level. When we when we were doing it before you're trying to you know kind of pinch pennies get the best yeah. you can with a really small amount of capital you can't build world class teams so i would say the most important thing we did and the most important decision we made was in 2020 is to invest in a real international management team that that was by far the most important and as we did that we got obviously better infrastructure and better ideas built around the business things became more efficient more productive more profitable and then all that builds upon itself right so a lot of a lot of our investor base they love seeing the growth and they they reinvest with us because they see the value getting created yep. by the team right if we were just buying farms rinse and repeat McDonald's business i wouldn't have most of the investors reinvesting the amount of money That they do right. It's not exciting. They don't see how it could ever be a a public company. But the amount of innovation that we're doing at the Columbia level is far and ahead of any other company that I'm aware of in the region. Like it it just doesn't exist in the coffee industry. And we're pretty good at communicating with our investors what we're doing, what our goals are, and so they like they feel like they're on the same team as us. Yeah. And so that's a huge thing that we want to do. So. I would say once we started investing in management teams, really communicating the innovation stuff to our investors, that's when we really got the backing of of our investors. You know, it takes a lot to go from let's say in 2020. I think we'd raise maybe seven or eight million dollars up to that time. Business was started in 2017. We deployed our first round Q2 2018. So you're a fairly young company. But from the time 2020 ends, maybe you're at eight million of capital raised. As of this morning, we've raised like $72 So in a three-year period, we've went from what was a blueprint in our head of being a cool asset play to today with the largest consolidated producer of coffee in Colombia. And for any of the listeners who don't know, Colombia's national product is coffee. They're the third largest producer of coffee in the world. And the second largest producer of arabica coffee in the world, which is what we specialize in. There's two types of coffee. One is arabica. One is robusta. Robusta is like what you would drink in a, a nest cafe or the lower end, like mm-hmm. dehydrated, crystallized coffees. The but well, because what you would drink. The well <laughs> coffee. Yes, yeah, so if you're at the bar drinking well coffee, that that's robusta typically. And so, yeah, I mean, the last few years have been. I'd say not a roller coaster ride, but like a like a ride to really get to something that we're really getting to a point that's exciting, where we're really getting into a big boy company, and we're able to interact with real peers that are doing real things, and we're on an international scale now. So it's it's another level from where it's a it's a completely different atmosphere than we were at, let's say three or four years ago. That's amazing, man! I know you guys have made it
0: such. A priority to include your investors in the journey of all of the private yes. investments I've been a part of. I've never, and I'm, and I'm saying this genuinely, authentically. I have not been involved in one that communicates and educates and includes the investors the way you guys do. I mean, I'm talking like light years beyond. And I've yeah. <laughs> everybody that has invested from the Millionaire Mindcast uh, listenership has literally, yes. I've heard nothing but the same exact thing. So I think that's a massive kudos that's right. to you guys, because you don't have to do that. I mean, at the end of the day, yes. a lot of companies just go, thanks for your money, you know, sit back yes. and let us do what we do and collect your check and be grateful for it. And I, and I love that you guys yes. have really brought the investors along with this. And I think it says a lot about the, the culture and the DNA of, of the founder of the, the leadership team. I'm curious, yes. To go back just for a quick second. And, and when you knew you needed to take it to that next level, I know a lot of people have big egos and, you know, would probably mm-hmm. have said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm the founder. I'm staying in the CEO seat. I'm going to be the one leading yes. and driving in Boston and telling people what to do. That's not mm-hmm. you. You, you remind me of somebody that says, I just want to win. I don't care how we do it. We want to do it with the best of the best. Like what was your process and how did you check your ego at the door and sure. you know, come to that decision? Because I think it's important oh. for a lot of people that what got you here is not what's going to get you there. And even at that point, right, most people would go, we made it, you know, we're successful. You said, nah, this yes. is just one rung in the ladder. Talk about that, that psychological process sure. for you and and how that might apply to other CEOs that are looking to get
1: to that next level. Sure, absolutely. I I think of it almost like a like a theater, like what we're trying to do here. Everyone can play certain roles, but there's certain parts I'm not cut out to play. You know, especially when we were young and growing, you know, it's not, I didn't come from an unstructured background, like you would be growing from something from zero into three, right? So I was coming from a very structured corporate world. And it takes someone, a much different person, I think, to take something from, let's say, zero to three or three to 10, from someone to 100 to 104, right? And so now we're coming back into a world that is more in line with actually my past experience today, I would say. We're becoming more structured. I mean, this year, we're going to try to you know, start doing SOX implementation for public companies. But back then, you know what I, what I realized is saying, look, one, I'm not Colombian. Right. My Spanish is not perfect. And it's important to see leadership as uh, one of our big things at the company is we, we are ultimately a Colombian company. We mm-hmm. wanted Colombian leadership. And you know, for me, I want to see the company succeed to the greatest degree possible. When I take it would be a lot easier if I didn't take capital from other people, right? And then you can just do whatever you want. But the yeah. minute you take capital from somebody else, you got to make sure you do what's best with that capital. And if I need to be the head salesman one day because I'm the best guy of the role, that's what I do. If I need to be the head janitor one day, that's what I do. Until I get out and and complete what we've agreed that we're looking to do for investors, I'm gonna fit myself into whatever role I can provide the most value. And you can always leave the ego at the door at that one. Our incentives are aligned basically until the time investors either have an exit or they're making so much money that they don't mind whatever I do. You know, I'm I'm working for them, basically. I got to make sure that I provide the value I can. And if someone can do it better, I'll always slot whoever's the best guy in there. So many people claim to do what is
0: best for their investors and uphold that fiduciary, but you know, there's, I think a a big gap in, in that audio and the video of what actually plays out behind the scenes. So I just have so much respect for you and Adam and and your whole team, because through and through, that's just the DNA of how you guys show up every single day. And obviously the company as a result of it is, is thriving. So talk a little bit about where you guys are at today and, and what does, I mean, going in the last few years from, you know, where you were at to now, what is, uh, a significantly, you know, different and well capitalized, more coffee farms, sure. more distribution and international relationships. Like talk about what you guys are excited yeah. about right now and, and where you see the opportunity and, and where's that where are we going to be at when I talk to you in
1: another two or three years? Sure. Absolutely. It's it's fun. It's fun to take a step back and like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're executing upon now. I talked about two or three years ago with the management team, right? So yep. everything has this kind of lag. So the things I talk about in a board meeting later today, you'll be seeing come out in like two or three years, right? Everything because everything takes time to build infrastructure, build teams, whatnot. Um, So the next step really is, you know, people will still see us as a coffee, let's say a coffee origin company that's growing, processing, selling green coffee. That's really what people would see us as today you know tomorrow that's not going to be actually be the business we just we're signing deals with treehouse foods you know the ceo of treehouse foods for anyone who doesn't know treehouse foods is about a 3 or 4 billion dollar public company on the new york stock exchange they're 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 big into white label coffee we're going to be partnering them to to roast our coffees and sell through certain distribution channels in the united states this year so we we acquired a new chief revenue officer at the end of next year and that's his mandate Really, to start transitioning green coffee to roasted coffee sales, you know, and that's where I would see that's my coffee hedge play. You know, mm-hmm. you get out of the volatility of the green coffee market. For anyone who follows commodities, you know, you'll you're constantly have a huge beta and yep. the pricing, and obviously that affects every grower in the world. You, you doesn't matter if you're a specialty coffee grower, a commodity coffee grower, you'll always be correlated to that price, and that is not something as a grower you can one hundred percent your risk like risk hedge out of. You'll always have the the small probability that you go under a cost of production and that year, unless you don't have, unless you have a big equity buffer, you can absorb losses, you could have unprofitable years and you, you don't want that in a growing business, especially a young growing business. So roasted coffee really will be our hedge here in the near term. But I think the thing I'm most excited about and whenever I get to talk about the business, I talk about the future, let's say fast forward three five years is byproducts you know, globally, I would say coffee is not a sunset industry, but it's the industry that's almost fully penetrated every area of the world. The last being like most likely China. That's why you're seeing so much activity go in from Starbucks and really push into Chinese cafes is because it's one of the last frontiers of unpenetrated coffee markets anywhere in the world on on a macro basis. So it's very unlikely that, coffee as a roasted coffee product is going to grow at 23% annualized growth every year right it's going to yeah. grow in line with glo- global gdp growth but at origin nobody does anything with the coffee cherries and for buyers or for listeners who don't know coffee is grown on a, on a cherry on a tree only about 30% 25 to 30% of the weight of a coffee cherry actually is the seed which you roast and and drink every day the rest is in a cherry form and it has stream fibers, it has certain proteins, has certain sugars, certain antioxidants that creates a number of commercial medicinal or just nutrient kind of plays. But due to the fact that coffee is largely grown in developing regions of the world, most of this research has only been done at like a super academic level. It's never mm-hmm. been put into commercial use. So most of your investors have seen our updates and uh, yep. for what we're doing with ethanol. Obviously, the first Use case that we're going to do here in the near term is create an ethanol plant, which is a fancy word for a distillery where we can make pure ethanol. We can make vodkas, gins, aguardientes. You could make snaps. Um, and we'll, that'll be ready, hopefully, at the beginning of next year. We'll start construction here in the next several months. Uh, and that's massively exciting. But it only takes up maybe 20% of our byproduct usage. You know, Don't forget, byproducts to us are free. It's a side effect of yep. creating coffee. We're looking at other uses like baking powders. So for instance, you can Mm. grind the cascara, which is the cherry, and you can create a baking powder similar to a wheat flour. You can create things like animal feed. You can extract the long stream fibers and actually sell them as a food ingredient. You can extract antioxidants and sell them to things like Korean beauty creams and There's just so many use cases um, and our current CEO is going to be heading up the innovation department, Boris Wilner, and he'll be looking at a lot of these use cases. One of his key mandates is what's the future of the company 10 years from now. And a lot of that will revolve around the use of byproduct. You know, it's a zero cost. It's actually a negative revenue to us because it costs money to dispose of it. If we can monetize Mm. it anyway, you have both a monetary effect and an environmental benefit. Right. So I'll see that is the major push. Once we get the coffee hedge put together, my major push will be byproducts. What can we do with byproducts? How can be innovative? How can you continue, obviously, to improve our operations in coffee? But what can we do in byproducts that literally no one else in the world is doing?
0: Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors So smart. I mean, you you think about it, right? That most people are at the end of the day throwing dollar bills in the trash can. You know, with uh, these additional opportunities. I mean, your core tree trunk, obviously, being coffee, but now going yes, so many branches off of that tree trunk, and sometimes those branches even have the potential to get just as big as the tree trunk, if not bigger, over the course of uh, you know the life of the business. So I'm extremely excited about that, and. You guys obviously have with these opportunities gaining some real traction opened up new opportunities to get involved with Green yes. Coffee Company before. Now are you guys still planning on is it a private sale? You guys want to take it public for those that may not know? Like sure. what is the grand vision of sure. and why and why does it matter
1: to the investor? Absolutely. So I think the IPO, US IPO, will be the, the key focus. That's what they're prepping the team for. In reality, in any kind of private sale transaction, you really need to be public company ready anyway yeah. to, to get value. So you're basically dual tracking. You, you, you create a great business, but you need to have all the controls, financials, everything that a public company should have. Any private buyer would want the same systems and frameworks in place, and they just might not put it on a public market. So we prep everything for a US IPO. And the reason it matters is because basically we're building, we're still building a use case today of how a vertically integrated coffee company should run with a massive innovation byproduct arm. You know, the reason to go on a, a public market is one, we get to stay in the game and build a company that no one else in the world has, right? So yeah. the reason why is if you get acquired, there's a very good chance it just plugs into an existing operation. And you'll probably get muted, especially on the the byproduct creation. It will most likely be at at the moment. I could see in like let's say we're going for a US IPO in three years. Really, the the major buyers will buy it for the coffee aspect of it. Probably not the byproduct aspect of it, because there's there's no logical buyer of it unless you'd have a food company that does coffee and mm-hmm. they have an innovation arm where they want to run R and D. It would be it would be more difficult on a private sale. To continue the business as is versus just plugging in as a fully owned sub that, you know, you're going to get, you know, inflationary growth on that, on that business. But as we build the use case of what we think the company can be, we can expand this throughout the nation of Colombia. You could also expand it into other coffee regions throughout the world, right? What we're doing in the United States with roasted coffee, fully integrated, so you can get the transparency play, you can get the origin play, we can create unique flavor recipes for coffee, which basically no one in the world can really do because they don't control coffee from origin. Mm-hmm. And create all these byproduct streams. You know, that'll continue, the byproduct stream will continue to grow organically as your production grows, as your as your sales volumes grow. And so that'll just naturally, as a result of the coffee business growing, will naturally expand. So there will always be, if you wanted to do, for instance throughout all of Colombia, you'll need more capital, right? And you need to do it in a in a, really a public vehicle will be the yep. best way to do that. So really, our goal is three years from now, we want to be throwing this on you know a real US. exchange, whether it's a New York or a NASDAQ exchange. And you're raising a decent amount of capital so that you can build out the what I would say is the vertically integrated coffee with a byproduct arm use case, and you can build it up bigger yep. and show how the micro case becomes a macro case. Beautiful, man. I'm so excited that I'm a part of this investment. I know there's going to be a lot of people that may
0: want to get involved as well. So if you guys are listening to this, text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555. We're going to have, um, obviously, accredited investors only. Um, We're going to have this offering going out to you guys here very soon. So if you're not on the list yet, get on the list. If you're on the list, get ready because... Um, I know you guys kind of put some offerings out and boom, people are snatching it up because obviously right. many it's many investors reinvesting because of obviously the experience they've had and the growth and the and the valuation. So um for those of you that didn't get in on the first time. Make sure you get on that list and and take advantage of this if this is something that you feel aligns with, you know your uh, your I love coffee. So I was like, all right, checkbox number one, I'm a consumer of the product. Um two, I know you guys and adam and and just the leadership and and the team that you guys have built um is you can have a great idea, but if you don't have a great team to execute on it and you guys, your track record speaks for itself. So, um, and I'm just really excited about the future of what you guys got going on outside of that. As you uh, know, I'm, you know, in, invested in a distillery and I know that the people who do that, you know, at a world-class level, absolutely dominate it. And you guys really are vertically integrated in a way that I think is, uh, is that's going to be the icing on the cake. So I think there's so many exciting, you know, verticals that you guys are playing in. I want to shift real quick because there's a handful of people that love colombia and i mentioned to a couple buddies that i was going to have you on and like okay so we mm-hmm. got to know because he's probably got the best insights into colombia with some of the greatest people, yes. greatest spots. so if you don't mind sharing i'm gonna, i'm going to hit you with a quick little list of best Let's colombian dish when somebody comes to
1: colombia what's one colombian dish yes. they have to try? chicharrón chicharrón's fried it's a fried pork you can get mm. it in various sizes some of her smoked pork some of it's just fried you you have to try chicharrón you, you have to
0: best colombian beach or destination to go explore that you know isn't maybe uh, on the the tourism uh,
1: you know hit list sure sure i would say if you're going to go for let's say a caribbean style or beach santa marta by far is my favorite i mean you have Actually, I think it breaks some records that you have the highest mountain chain, like overseeing the beach. So mm. at Santa Marta, there's a town called Minka right next to it that does a bunch of chocolates, It has coffee. You know, the town theoretically has everything mm. and you have a rainforest right next to it if you're into hiking and everything. So I would say by far the most beautiful town I've been to in Colombia is, is Santa Marta.
0: What is your favorite place to go and get dinner with your wife or your family?
1: Let's see. My favorite, let's say steakhouse tonight, I'm going to go to Lucio in Envigado. Lucio is by far, by to me, it's like a little quaint place and it's called, it's called La Calle de Buena Mesa, which just means the street of good food. Mm. Uh, in Envigado, like my it is awesome. Oh, that's the one. So, I'm saying you, you can get a couple steaks, a bottle of Argentinian Malbec. It really is not expensive and the quality that's the best that's the best steaks by far in all of Medellín. I would say I, I would stake my reputation on it. <laughs> I love it.
0: Well, uh, I know so many people are going to want to check out what you guys got going on. So, of course, we will link it up milliganofmycast.com right on the episode for Cole. You guys can check it out. And look at the company, all the amazing articles, write-ups, you know, things. You guys do such a great job at, you know, showcasing all the cool stuff that you guys are up to, but also very educational there as well. Um, and if you guys want to get um, the investment offering, make sure you text the word DEALS to eight four 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 seven fifteen fifty five. 447 1555 Cool, brother. It was great connecting, man. I am just, uh, one, I'm just impressed. And, and two, you're just such a humble... Cool dude, and it's amazing to see your success and just really happy for you guys. So, one, thank you for allowing me to be a part of the ride in a little tall, small, tiny capacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for giving the Millionaire Mindcast listeners an exclusive opportunity that most people, you know, just don't have access to unless they're listening to the show. So, we appreciate you, brother.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Matt. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so you're also going to get entered in to win a hundred dollar gift card. Don't forget to share this episode out with somebody else that may need to hear it or may get some value from what was talked about in today's interview. And for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey, you want to unlock more financial freedom, you want to get more time back, or maybe you just want to level up your life, your business, your finances. Be sure to head over to millionairemindcast.com and check out all the amazing products and resources that we have for our Millionaire Mycast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, downloads and checklists, the rich life planner for those of you looking to take your goal setting and productivity to the next level. We've got all kinds of great, valuable tools. So be sure to check those out at millionairemindcast.com. And last but not least, if you're not on my weekly text letter and you want to be the first to know of exclusive updates and offers in addition to behind the scenes access to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, that I'm investing in, be sure to join by texting the word notes to 844-447-1555. With that being said, thanks for listening today. Until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your march to a million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.